and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Since we always get new listeners, I always like to just tell you a little bit about us before we get into our program today, which is going to be really interesting about being clueless as a caregiver through the journey. We're going to really focus on the holiday and um, how to help help people out um, in that process because that's with us for a good month here now. Um, Bottom line, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company, and we provide multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort worldwide. And we believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday casual conversations about life with dementia, that we're going to be able to help people remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and those that care for them. Uh, We want everybody um, who's dealing with this disease to continue to have uh, a have and live a purpose-filled life. And together, I think if we hold hands through this journey and share our own stories, it just makes it a lot easier to go through the process. At our core, we truly believe that collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle. And we know that it's working because of all of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, your shares to your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn colleagues, your Twitter tribes, your Pinterest peeps, um, you've helped us share Uh, the content that we push out. And I'm a firm believer that the more information is out there, the easier it's going to be for someone to grab when they're ready. Um, Because like anything else, you can't force people to get help. Um, They really need to be ready. And because of all of your sharing, which I hope you continue to do, um, you got us named the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, according to ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And So we really are so filled with gratitude for your support, and we hope that that continues because, again, you're not just supporting us. You're supporting the movement in terms of dementia because Alzheimer's Speaks believes in raising everybody's voice. And so you might be listening today thinking, hey, I got a story to share, and you probably do. Uh, You might be diagnosed with the disease or wondering if you have it. You might be a family caregiver. Uh, You might be a researcher. Uh, we've got a couple authors with us today, um, you know, or a business um, who has developed a, a product or a tool or a service for people. We want to hear from everybody because we're a team, you know, and it takes a village uh, for us to care for one another. So reach out to me. You can uh, do that through our radio page here. You can uh, type in a comment or you can shoot me a private message by going to alzheimerspeaks.com. There's a big contact button. And choose the, uh, the mode of your choice and, and just reach out to me and let's have a conversation and um, hear what your thoughts are about the disease. Today I have a co-host with me and um, I always love when I'm able to do this. Um, today we've got Paul Ann Gordon with us and Paul Ann is actually living with dementia. And again, um, I, you know, I'm just a firm believer that we need to hear their voice. My mom lived with this disease for 30 years and she just taught me so many brilliant things that I wouldn't have thought of 
on my own. And so welcome today, Paul Ann. How are you doing? I'm doing great today, Lori. How are you? Wonderful. Do you want to give people a little background about yourself? Sure. I was um, diagnosed at age 57 with vascular dementia, and that's uh, been about four and a half years since ago. And I'm involved in a lot of different advocacy efforts, but one of um, the things I, I've done is I've written a little booklet on uh, vascular dementia and inside perspective, and I just look for a lot of opportunities to advocate for the cause. Wonderful. Paula is also one of our experts on our um, video chats that we do called Dementia Chats, and she just has wonderful insights. So again, thank you for joining us today. Our guest that we have with us, um, I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. We're going to be talking with Sandy Savell, and she published a book called Dear Clueless, A Daughter's Journey Through Dementia or Through Alzheimer's Caregiving. And boy, can I relate to that title. Um, it was, the book was published in 2015, and it's really a story of a decade of, of her giving care to her mother as she progressed um, from forgetfulness to not recognizing her own daughter and eventually passing on from complications of Alzheimer's disease. Um, Sandy has already experienced the death of her father, her maternal grandmother and aunt and cousin from Alzheimer's, um, but it was this day-to-day caregiving for her mom, Helen, that really prompted her to write this book. So welcome, Sandy. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we're thrilled to have you with us today. I think this is, like I said, I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Why don't we start with um, a little background? Um, people, you know, I, I already said that your mom's got had dementia and stuff, but you want to give us a little background um, in terms of who your mom was and, and your relationship and how she got diagnosed. And, and um, that just always kind of sets the stage for our listeners a little. Well, my mom was a single mom my whole life. Um, I grew up with her in a um, 628-square-foot half-a-duplex. She was a bartender. And when I described my mother, um, I, I, she cussed like a sailor and she drank like a battalion of Marines. She never met a stranger. She never lost a friend. And she never made more than minimum wage her entire life, and nobody around her went without. She was the most generous person I have ever known. Um, now, that personality, although was, which was great and fun and adventurous when she had her wits about her as she progressed into Alzheimer's, uh, became quite a challenge for me. Um, I noticed her getting forgetful uh, right around her early 70s, and around 75, she lost my stepdad. And from then on, I could see the progression get worse and worse. And I was flying from Washington, D.C., where I lived at the time, to West Palm Beach, um, about every three months. Could not get her to visit, could not get her to come up. And uh, my husband and I moved here in 2006. And the week of Christmas, she had um, AFib and was put in the hospital. I got on a train on Christmas Day, went down to West Palm Beach, and told her that the doctors would not let her live alone anymore. And with that, she moved here to South Carolina with me, where she lived in our home for two and a half years. 
Um, and then eventually her disease progressed to the point where she was a danger to herself, to me, and to others. Then she lived another 18 months in a memory care unit very close to our house. Wow. So you've been but she through, was. You've been she through was a lot of fun. You've been through a lot of cycles then and a lot of decisions um, that aren't yes. that, that aren't very easy. So thank you for, for sharing that. Why don't you um, tell us a little bit about the, you know, the holiday season and why people should attempt to make, you know, the holidays a little extra special for a loved one and why that's important. Well, it, it all depends on what you consider extra special. I look back now at what I did and realize that, yes, I was very clueless and I actually caused her more agitation than needed to be. The first year she she was here. She still was, um, she was fully with it. I mean, she was forgetting things, but um, she wasn't doing any hallucinating or forgetting who I was the first year. And since we had grown up in not really poor circumstances, but we didn't have a lot, um, I decorated the house from stem to stern and made a big deal out of it. And it agitated her and it angered her. She was afraid that I was spending money needlessly and did not understand that my husband and I had been collecting all these Christmas things over a period of 15 years. Uh, but the second year was a disaster. Um, she started really, um, the Alzheimer's started progressing very quickly her second year here. And to, I don't know, to try to comfort her, we, I come from a Hungarian background. I had a girlfriend who was Hungarian come over and we did a lot of Hungarian baking, things that you know, is it made in the average home, thinking that she would be comforted. The minute she smelled those smells, she, she tried calling her mother, who had been dead for 35 years. She tried calling a sister who had been gone. Um, from that day on, literally from that day of baking on, she progressed rapidly till about two weeks from then. She forgot me in 10 minutes' time and never remembered me again. Wow. Um, you don't. I did not realize that too much visual stimuli is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And also, I didn't even think about the smells and the sounds of Christmas from the past. Literally took her back to the past where she thought she was still living. And when she couldn't connect with the people that were alive back then, um, she accused me of lying to her and trying to make her lose her mind so I could steal her money. That had to be, so that was, that had to it, be really it was, devastating. It was, it was tough because here I was trying to, sh- to shower her with the love and good things, and it totally did the opposite. Mm-hmm. Pauline, can you relate to that at all? or? Yeah, I can relate to that. I mean, I, I think Christmas is, is kind of rough for for people with dementia, I think for a number of reasons. Um, there's definitely some positives that I want to mention, but I think it can be very overwhelming because of the, uh, the parties especially. Um, a lot of people have Christmas parties, and if you go and you have dementia, it's very difficult. For one thing, you're uncomfortable because a lot of people don't know you have dementia, and so you feel like you have to be a little bit more on your toes. And for another thing, um, it just seems like the, uh, you get overwhelmed by all these different discussions. You're hearing parts in, of this one and parts of that one, and um, 
it gets very confusing and it's hard to concentrate. Which makes a makes a lot of sense. I know the the overstimulation. I know with my own mom, um, you know, you get so excited because you want to celebrate and you want to do things. In in my head, anyways, I wanted to do things the way my mom always did them, and and yet not realizing initially that that didn't meet her needs anymore, and mm-hmm. that it was more scary than fun um, for her with the flashing mm-hmm. lights and you know just all the. You know, kind of all the clutter, really, because Christmas comes with a lot of clutter when you put it, when you pull it all out. I know my house always feels much cleaner when I go put it away, and I and I, I love it, you know, um, and it's it's comforting. Um, but it, you know, not when it comes to dementia. It just uh, it's just too much isn't or or a lot isn't um, isn't always better. And um, so I think that that's something that we really have to take into consideration from. Um, items to um, lights and decoration. I mean, we even arrange, rearrange rooms and stuff when people are comfortable. Um, all those little things. Is that what you found with your mom as well, Sandy? I did. And another thing that I didn't give thought to until afterwards is she had, in the second year, begun sundowning fairly mm-hmm. regularly. Um, so taking her out in the evening to do things um, became very difficult. The, the one thing, though, she continually loved, and I could do it every night, and I often did it every night, was to put her in the car and drive her around to see Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing that we did during the holidays um, that never ratcheted up her um, agitation. She really loved that. But, you know, taking somebody to a party in the evening or going Christmas caroling in a strange neighborhood. Not a good idea. Mm -hmm. No. It sounds like the Christmas lights, I can see how she would like those. She probably brought back a lot of memories from her, her youth and growing up, you know, and seeing the Christmas lights. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. And it was a quiet thing. You know, it, it was just her and I in the car. Um, there wasn't a lot of stimuli, outside stimuli. Yeah, my my mom really enjoyed that too, and I think uh, I think you're right. It's 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 visual, but it's quiet and it's contained still. Yeah. And um, you know, and I think some of the light shows have changed because now they have the music and the windows are down, and then you've got the elements and the noise and um, all of those things too. I think people have to weigh out what it is because it it has changed from what it used to be. In a lot of in a lot of areas, um, and so I, I think that those are really great, great things to point out. Um, what about home celebrations? In in and um, you know, many of us just have these big, huge gatherings versus maybe smaller dinners, um, or if someone's in a community, coming to them versus pulling them out. What are your thoughts on that, Sandy? Well. Um... Most Alzheimer's patients eventually will start asking to go home. They want to go home. I have heard from other people that they have either taken their loved one back to their childhood home, which they did not recognize, or to the home that they grew in their marriage and raised their children, which they did not recognize. Um, It can be, and I'll just tell you uh, two two little stories of going out. One is um, another author that I met who writes on the perspective of somebody who manages um, a memory care unit. And she had the mother of a doctor 
as a patient there, and he called about a week before Christmas and said, I want her ready at 10 o'clock Christmas Day. I'm taking her home for the day. And she suggested he did do not do that, but he insisted. He picked her up at 10. He had her back by 11. And she was so agitated. Um, she needed some um, medicinal help. Um, she got to she got to her home. She did not recognize it, but unfortunately, she didn't recognize anybody else. Mm-hmm. And all these people were hugging her and calling her by name. She didn't know who they were. She became very frightened, and she became argumentative and um, wanted to run away. I mean, they had to bring her back to the unit. When um, I took my mother out once, my husband and I took her out um, to a, um, a country club in the area for a brunch one Thanksgiving. And um, it overwhelmed her. I could tell um, she didn't get agitated, but I could tell she did not enjoy herself. And the country club had um, a no denim rule, and my mother had put on a denim jacket. And I wasn't going about to start an argument with her about you need to wear something else because you know how that goes. And um, she was getting a lot of nasty stares and comments from people. And I finally got up and walked from table to table and said, I'm sorry my mother offends you, but she has dementia. She's doing the best she can. Um, By the next year, my husband and I decided that we would um, be at her place where she was living, which had become her home. And we made arrangements to eat Thanksgiving dinner there. We made arrangements for Christmas dinner and a New Year's celebration. And it was much more enjoyable because she knew all the people there. She lived with them on a day-to-day basis. And she wasn't leaving her comfort zone. And it was more enjoyable uh, for all of us. Well, that's good. Pauline, what are your thoughts? Well, I definitely agree that um, it's better to have small gatherings if possible the the big gatherings, as I mentioned, you know earlier, that can be so overwhelming because you you get you hear this part of this conversation, this part of another conversation, and these are the exact same things that go bad when you have dementia, your skills for being able to take, keep track of different conversations and different stories and what goes to which one. So um, I definitely think that the the smaller gatherings are, are really the key, and I think that um, I think that I really want to scale back. I find myself wanting to scale back this year much more than ever. I um, even in terms of shopping, in terms of um, present giving, and all of that. I think um, my priorities are shifting towards where I. I really care more than anything about my family and my friends. And so I want to spend, you know, just the time with my grandchildren and my children and enjoy that time. And I'm not really into having a lot of big, um, I'm not baking. I don't cook anymore. I'm not um, having any big parties or anything like that. I'm not giving real big gifts. They're all sentimental type things, things I've made and and that sort of thing. So those are kind of some of the thoughts that I have around that. Okay. Yeah, I know, you know, with with my mom, you know, we always had the huge gatherings. I mean, we would have this open house and um, we were kind of crazy. It was an all day long thing. And, And I remember over time having to adjust that as she moved into the nursing home. Initially, I'd go pick her up and then we'd bring her home and then, it got to the point where we needed transportation because um, she was in a wheelchair. 
And so, you know, we would pick her up and then, you know, usually she would stay quite a while. And then we found that we had to have the pickup time on call because she would just get restless and uncomfortable. And it was just time for her to go back home. And and our home wasn't her home anymore. And um, we couldn't have her in during the winter just because we have steps no matter which way you go. So, you know, when she came to the house, it was always outdoors and she loved, we used to have these big, huge picnics and things. Um, But we just found, you know, smaller was better. And then we really started shifting in terms of having holidays and celebrations with her. And so we would, you know, reserve a room and we would have our family function there. And then actually, then we started even breaking down, not having the big family function, but everybody would kind of visit at different times. So she'd have more visitors. So it was a little bit easier on her. So, you know, it it was kind of a trial and error thing that we went through in terms of trying to figure it all out. Um, Sandy, is that what you kind of went through with your own mom? Exactly, exactly. And once we started going to her facility and we would call them and we would pay for our meals, we would tell them what time we were coming in, um, and we would be sitting with her and maybe a couple of her friends for the holiday dinners, whatever holiday it was. Um, it was much more relaxing for us because we weren't trying to get her in the car. You know, sometimes I'd get her in the car and it's, well, I'm going home. I want to go home to Pittsburgh. Where's my suitcase? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we weren't dealing with any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there were other, you know, little things. Um, she, once she forgot me, she kept asking me where Sandy was. Mm-hmm. And in her mind, I was the adult Sandy that took care of her 12-year-old daughter, Sandy. Okay. And and nothing would change her mind. So I would have to try to distract her from thinking about little Sandy. But it was she stayed less agitated if we stayed in her memory care unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that sense of, of home and comfort changes over time. And it, it does. It, it's really important for people to be um, respectful of that. and. Um, and adjust. And sometimes as family, we're not as gracious, I think, as what we should be because um, we're looking at our comfort level and where we need to be, you know, with everything. And um, we really have to look deeply in terms of what's going to work for them and, you know, how's that going to look like and, and things. Um, let's, let's go on to another thing that I think people really struggle with too over the holidays is gifts. What do you get? And, um, how do you, how do you know if what you get is appropriate or not? Well, that's a really funny topic for me. I, um, you know, I would go out and buy all these gifts and I would completely forget what I bought for who. And then once they were wrapped, I was really in trouble. But um, I made an adjustment to that. As I was buying gifts, I would start to write down, I would keep a list of each person's name and what I had bought them so that I could keep track of how many things I bought for this person versus this person. And I I could remember what it was I bought them because I would never remember what I bought them. And um, so that that was um, something I started doing, and, and it helped me a lot to keep track of, uh, just being fair and also just remembering what I was getting people. Okay. Well, that's, that's a great and, idea. And I think that that's really interesting because a lot of times we're looking at, 
what uh, what do we buy somebody for dementia? But uh, yeah, I remember my mom being still wanting to be very involved in everything, and that's a whole different process um, mm-hmm. in terms of how you look at it. So, um, Sandy, you know, for you with your mom, what what did you find you know worked well to get your mom in terms of gifts? Um, I would buy her like nice velour looking jogging outfits, like sweatpants and a nice top. And in she loved rich colors like burgundy and orange, you know, deep orange. So I would get her clothes that was a little bit loose for her and um, very easy to take on and off. Um, I'd get her nightgowns, comfortable slippers, and, and be careful, you know, to get slippers that have a back to them so they're not shuffling. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed some of the patients in the memory care unit liked stuffed animals, and they would hold on to the stuffed animals if they were sundowning or feeling agitated or frightened. Um, costume jewelry. I, um, I was probably keeping costume jewelry stores around here in business because I was constantly bringing something for her, and it delighted her. Um, one of the things that I did also, which she loved, is I would surprise her by bringing in a new set of towels or a new new shower curtain or a new bedspread that I had found on sale and changing up her room. She absolutely loved that. Now, one problem um, that I saw is a lot of people in facilities like this, they get cookies and they get candies and they get all this stuff and they're not used to eating. Um, you know, most of them, the food where my mother was was fantastic, but um, they didn't have a lot of sweet or overly salty snacks sitting around. And what happens is somebody starts eating too much candy and cookies. Quite often they get sick, um, um, physically ill from it. And if you have some childish behavior going on with it, with the Alzheimer's, um, I remember bringing in cut up watermelon for the entire memory care unit. And one man was going around stealing watermelon off of people's plates. And it, it took crowd control to get him out of there safely. <laughs> um, you know, they can, they can sometimes uh, be a little bit childish and nobody is above um, or below slapping somebody for stealing their cookie sometimes. So you've got to be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I did many years ago when I was still in my 20s is there was a nursing home close to where I lived run by the Carmelite nuns. And I don't know how I got involved with talking to them, but I found that there were a lot of patients who never had any gifts at Christmas. People weren't visiting them. And so every year, Every payday, I would buy, for the, for a man, I would buy a um, Old Spice soap and a deodorant, a pair of socks. And for one of the ladies, I would buy a Jeanette soap and hand lotion and a pair of socks, and I would save them. And at the end of the year, right before Christmas, I would wrap the men's in green and the women's in red and drop them off for whoever did not get a gift. Okay. And that's something, too, that's good to be aware of, um, that there are people in a memory care unit that nobody remembers. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's it's very, true. it's very sad <clears throat> to see, but it happens all the time. Um, and those are the people that I would always try to include at my mother's table or include in our conversations. Or if I was making, if I, if I was 
in there making coffee for mom. I would make coffee for other people um, because there are people that are very sad this time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know with, with my mom, I, I went through um, a lot of changes in terms of what I purchased and a lot of it turned out to be more things that she needed um, in terms of clothes um, because she couldn't read a book anymore. There were, there were so many activities that she just couldn't do. Um, but I, I found that she was still really, um, you know, you had mentioned the, the sense in terms of, um, you know, just what, where it brought your mom back, you know, in terms of time. Um, my mom really liked perfume. And so perfumes mm-hmm. and lotions were really good. Um, lotions were great because then you could massage your hands or, you know, rubber, rubber legs and arms and, um, just kind of have that contact to um, music was something that she really, really enjoyed. Um, <clears throat> the paper for quite a while was something that she liked um, to do. She couldn't always read because sometimes we'd catch her with the paper upside down, but it was a habit thing and it was comforting. So I think families yeah. have to understand the difference <clears throat> in that. And I don't think it's always about keeping somebody busy. And I guess I'd like Pauline for your insights, since you're living with the disease. What are what are your thoughts about people buying you stuff to keep you busy um, versus things that you really like or enjoy or might just cause you to relax? Yeah, that, that's probably where I would fall more in the spectrum. I'd, I'd like to appreciate the music, and I like to do... Um, coloring mandalas, you know, and things that are kind of relaxing, um, meditation-wise, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm, I'm not interested in a lot of clothes anymore, and I'm not real interested in, um, oh, just, I don't know, a lot of big presents, I guess. I like things that kind of come from the heart or are handmade by the kids, and that kind of stuff means a lot more to me right now. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Anything else that you want to add there, Sandy? No, but that's very good insight there. Okay. Is, you know, don't don't try to keep them busy. Just give them comfort. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what What is your advice, Sandy, about taking them to visit maybe a loved one out of town for a special birthday or holiday, you know, you hear people doing that all the time. And um, what's what's your experience with that? Is that a good thing? Well, I, I, well, let me answer answer that question with a question. Have you ever heard it coming out well? Um, I, ha- I have early, early on in the disease. Um, but, yeah. but Paul Ann, let's get your feedback on that. Well, I'm I'm actually going to be traveling for the holidays to go see my grandchildren, and um, the, the you know some of the things that we do about that as far as that goes is we make sure that we have a nonstop flight so we don't have to worry about a change of planes. We get seats in the front so it's not so confusing, and um, we well those are just a couple of the things we try to do when we travel for the holidays and but we are making sure that we're coming home for christmas we will be home on christmas day and that's just important because it just is a sentimental you know situation for us mm-hmm. yeah i i have um heard some people too say you know if if they're going to be in hotel rooms and moving around a lot that that's very very difficult 
And, oh, yeah. and so I, I know of a few people that say, you know, if they want to do a lot of traveling instead of flying or doing the train thing in a lot of hotels is they've decided to go with a motorhome. Um, and we've got one man in our memory cafe and they go camping within the motorhome, which, you know, isn't really camping because you got a shower and a kitchen and the whole, the whole nine yards there. Um, but, but it's their, it's their way to travel where home is, um, is always the same. Yep. And, uh, um, excellent idea. Mm-hmm. And that's an excellent idea. Yeah, because I know with with my folks, they typically when they would travel, they lived up north, so they would come in town, but they would stay they would stay at our house um, after they couldn't stay in their apartment anymore, um, and that was always you know steadfast place to to be able to be. Um, or when we were up north, it was their cabin which they had had for years and turned into their year round home. So that was a stable place. Then we would venture out from there. But um, maneuvering through um, airports and things were really tough. I I remember we did one cruise as a family, and um, it was just quite the process um, because there was so, even though they went back to their room, you know, it's it's like a city, you know, on those ships. And then there were things that they couldn't do on the excursions that the rest of the family could. So I would do something different with my folks. And sometimes they felt left out, you know, a little bit. And um, I remember my dad saying, you know, he, he didn't like the cruise because it wasn't it wasn't as nice and as classy as, you know, um, the ones he had been on before. And it had nothing right. to do with that. It had to do with... At that point, my dad had brain cancer, my mom had dementia, and they just weren't able physically um, to do things, you know, and or mentally, you know, comprehend certain things um, between the two of them. But the perception was it wasn't as good a quality, you know, um, for for him. That's how he had to process it. Mom was with dementia. She, you know, she just pretty, she was very compliant for the most part and would go with the flow and was just thrilled to be out, you know, out and about. Um, you know, one thing I just wanted to add about while well, we were talking about the flying and everything is that um, for people who are more in my stage, you know, more in the moderate to middle stages and, and are going to be traveling, um, you can ask for dementia assistance, dementia care assistance at the airport so that when you check, well, you really need to make the arrangements in advance of the flight. But when you check in, then they'll have somebody waiting there who will escort you to through security and to the gate. So that is something that is a nice thing to know about. It's no no charge for it. It's just I usually tip, and um, it just makes getting the whole process of getting through the airport much easier. Oh, for sure. I know one thing that. Um... Michael Ellenbogen, one of our experts living with dementia, um, had noted about that, though. He's like, they always want to make me sit down in a wheelchair. Or he's like, I, my problem is not walking, it's maneuvering, you know, through, right. through the process. So it's a misunderstanding of what the needs are, um, which is kind of interesting, too, when you think about it from from that angle. So um, and it, it is, but I don't mind the ride. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. Um, it's just a little bit further route we need to maneuver um, through this, you know, becoming dementia friendly um, culture that we're that we're pushing out there right now. So, 
Well, good. Those I think those are good tips. Um, Sandy, I'd like to ask you, what do you think um, somebody can do for a loved one who's maybe caring for somebody or maybe somebody has an employee um, and um, they want to do something for, for their employee to kind of assist them if they're caring for somebody? Um, or, or maybe um, maybe you want to support caregivers in a professional setting. Um, you know, what, what are some suggestions there? Well, the one thing that I, I missed most of all after my mother came to live with us was personal time alone in my home. Mm-hmm. I had none. Um, she, was, she seldom went out if I was home. Um, I had a caregiver. I worked part-time for a physician uh, in administration, and I was a massage therapist in my home. Um, So I worked outside of the home, but once I came home, um, the caregiver left, uh, and it would be me and mom, and for quite a while that worked. But there were days that I just wanted to be alone, have some time to myself. And people were always great about, I'll come over and stay with your mom and you can go shopping. I don't want to go shopping, you know. I, I want to take a shower and walk out to the kitchen in a towel and get a cup of coffee is what I want. <laughs> um, you know, or maybe without the towel, you know. Yeah. But, um, and, and I think for me, personally, that was what I needed the most. And I once figured out in two and a half years, I probably was alone in my own home for less than 24 hours. Um, At one point, I had become very ill, was in the hospital for a week, and um, I I wanted uh, a relative to, um, I wanted to take mom down to Florida. My husband was going to fly her down and let her stay with a relative for two weeks because I was having trouble getting over the hump of getting better, and the relative refused. And my mother, even though she didn't know who I was, she was very, very upset that I was so ill. And um, so I never had much time to sleep by myself or anything like that because she was she was always checking on me, which I really think her maternal instincts were still there where I was concerned. She just didn't recognize me. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if you want to do something for a caregiver, Go pick up the person if they're, if they're able, if they're at a state where they still like to go out, grab a bite to eat, maybe do a little shopping or go have ice cream, pick them up and get them out of the house for a couple hours and let the caregiver have some time by themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give them a spa gift, a spa day. Yes. And, and, you know, I, and I would personally, I would love that, but I know there's a lot of people that don't like a massage and don't like to be touched and don't, you know, that wouldn't be their thing. So part of it too is knowing the person. And I, I think so many times, you know, when we're trying to do this type of gift, we are trying to imagine what we would like instead of really figuring out what would they like. Because it might not even be jumping in the shower. It just might be crawling in the sheets and sleeping for two days. <laughs> you know? um, and and True. and that's okay versus going to a movie or get their hair done or you know, they just they just want to stay still sometimes. And exactly. and that's a really hard for people to understand because our society is so fast paced. That people like, yeah. well, what do you mean you want to just like do nothing? <laughs> you know, you have this precious time and it's just like, but I think when you are 
giving care, you know, and you're feeling overwhelmed, you realize how valuable that downtime is that people take mm-hmm. for granted, you know, because you don't Very have... much. Oh, go ahead. Now with my mother's, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, because people don't have it, you know, and, and then when you no. don't have something, you realize the value of it once you've lost it, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and you want to find it really quick because you know where it is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just getting there. You just can't get to it. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Sandy. Um, uh, well, I found with my mother's caregiver, she became a part of the family. She was wonderful. And, and um, she had moved here to Aiken, South Carolina, and was restoring an old home. And so, you know, her birthday would come, Christmas would come. She would always get gift cards for me. And, you know, I said, I know this doesn't seem personal, but I know that, you know, you really want to go and you know, get the drywall for your, your dining room. So, you know, now you can go and do it. Um, I always made sure, though, that the the people who kind of took over and watched over my mother at the memory care unit, I was I tried to always be generous with um, Starbucks cards or Dunkin' Donuts cards or uh, Walmart cards, and they didn't have to be large amounts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'd be only ten dollars. Sometimes during the holidays it'd be a little bit more. But I was always very um, cognizant of letting the people know who take care of my mother day in and day out to let them know how valuable they were. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing my husband and I did for the people at the memory care unit, my mother, if, if I was, if we were alone in her room with her, she would become very agitated. Um, you've stolen my money. Where is my jewelry? What have you done with little Sandy? But she would never act out. Mm-hmm. when she was around people and especially during meal time. So my husband and I, that's when we would go and visit with her is when she was in the dining room. And we very quickly realized at the memory care unit that they were short staffed. And there were people who needed help being fed that, you know, were being rushed a little bit. There was a couple people that would sometimes spit food at you and they were always getting seemed to be getting fed last. So my husband and I would come, we would set the tables, we would feed people, um, and love on love on other patients. We would help gather up the dishes, would help clean up afterwards. And it and often gave the staff a little downtime or a breather. And so we were um it was always very appreciated when that was done. Mm-hmm. And we did that, too, when my mom was in the uh, nursing home. We really got to know the others and included them in whatever what we were doing, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then made that her her circle because that was that was her, her peers. That was her friends. And so to us, it, it you know, it only made sense to do that. Um, we would also, um, you know, when we have like big meals and stuff, we'd have leftovers and different things, you know, hors d'oeuvres and stuff for cookie trays. And we would just bring stuff like that up to staff as well. And, and they always loved that. Um, exactly. As, as much too. Um, Pauline, anything you want to add on that? No, I think that those are all good recommendations. And actually we have a, I have a mother-in-law who's in a nursing home and we just recently went up for Thanksgiving and had a Thanksgiving dinner there. So I think that those are that's a wonderful idea to take the party to them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, Sandy, I'm going to ask you about, you know, families sometimes struggle, 
in terms of, you know, for me, I was kind of tag, I was it. And, um, yes. and, I, oh, yes. and I wanted to be there. My daughter wanted to be there, but not so much my brother and their children. Um, that was a little more difficult for them. Any, any recommendations on how to deal with the families that, that struggle in terms of involvement? Uh, that is, that is so hard, Lori. Um, my, it, it really drove my sister and I apart um, quite a bit. The, the family member that I called to help me when I, uh, when I got out of the hospital, I mean, my, my sister lived three miles from my mother in Florida and never once went to visit her. She only visited her when I was in town. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my mother was totally alone. Um, when I got sick and I asked my sister, you know, would you keep mom for two weeks just until I get better? She hung the phone up on me. And my nephew then turned and called me and said, leave mom alone. She doesn't need to have this kind of problem. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, she's been with me a year and a half, and I haven't had more than a couple hours alone to myself. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's very hard. Um, and one of the things that happened the first year, this was really – it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. Most of my mother's siblings were still alive at the time, and she, I would hear her talking to them. She would call them all on Sunday. Now, my mother went out two days a week for lunch with her caregiver. I took her out once or twice a week, and all day Saturday we would go and would have breakfast and go to coffee and would go to yard sales. And then I'd hear her on Saturday saying to her siblings, she never takes me to the doctor. I'm very sick. I haven't seen a doctor in months. I never go anywhere. And so I would then get calls from my mother's sisters, like, what are you doing, Helen? Mm-hmm. Um, and I finally had to sit down and write them a very, very long and detailed letter as to what was going on. And they, they got it because their mother had died and one of their sisters had already died of it. But I am going to tell you that by and large, I've been in many, I've, I visit support groups. I speak to support groups. This goes on in 99% of the families. Mm-hmm. And if you're tag, you're it you're going to get angry and you're going to get resentful and, and as it should be, honestly, because you're doing almost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, my, my feelings waxed and waned and waxed and waned. I lost my, my sister actually nine months after my mother. And I found that at her funeral, I was so mad at her still. I, I, it was like, you know, I could, I could barely, even cry. It took me a long time to get past that anger. My mother uh, passed away six years ago last last week. She's gone six years now. It took me a couple of years to get past that anger. Mm-hmm. You feel you feel abandoned, and you're not asking anybody to do more than you do. In fact, you're asking people to do like one one hundredth of what you do, and they won't do it. Now, I was blessed. I have a husband who did very well with my mother and she always listened to him. Um, you know, if, if I was having problems with her, I'd go and call him at work and say, you need to come home because I've lost it today. Mm-hmm. And he would walk in the door and say, mom, you know, let's go and do this or let's do that. And she would do exactly what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're going to find that in probably 99% of the family, you have one person that does almost everything. Mm-hmm. And, you can't make you cannot make people do anything but but now now let me say this the successful families where the whole family got involved they worked with everybody's strengths like the the sons 
if you have a mother with Alzheimer's, the sons can't get involved with her personal care. You know, they're not going to dress her. They don't want to do her hair. So you would say, okay, you know, Bob, you go and do the grocery shopping for me every other week if you don't mind. And Gary, can you pick up, you know, some laundry to take home and ask your wife to do some sheets and some towels for me? They can be good at that kind of stuff. And maybe if you even have a female, you have a sister who can't handle dealing or seeing her mother like that, maybe she can bring a couple casseroles every week. Um, and I think trying to work with people's strengths is going to be better than, than asking them to do what, what you probably need them to do, but they won't do. Yeah, and I, I saw this. Oh, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Pauline. No, no, I wasn't. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the things I found with with my own family was um, that I didn't realize was that one of the reasons they didn't help was because of me. And um, and I always joke. I say, well, I'll take part of the responsibility, but I'm not going to take it all. But because I was the organized one in the family. Um, they could easily twist that to say I was a control freak, you know, that no matter, no matter what they did, it wasn't going to meet my standards. And in a lot of ways it wasn't because I, I really was so in tuned with, I wanted my folks to have the best possible care. And what I found I didn't give credit for was the way they cared. And everybody doesn't care the same, but that doesn't, um, we shouldn't devalue it. And so because they because they felt they'd be judged by me, if that was true or not, it was their perception um, that allowed them to stay away a little bit more. I think part of it had to do with they didn't want to deal with the reality of the situation. They didn't want to feel the feelings. Um, and so it was easier to use that excuse too versus having to go deep and really process the changes that were yeah. happening in our family. But uh, But yeah. it still existed. And so... You know, we talked about that after my dad died and, um, you know, nothing changed really, you know, after he passed where they could have stepped in more with my mom. But it is about perceptions of how we care, I think, a lot. It, it is. And, and I, I did get involved with, um, I got involved with groups, uh, which helped us. And sometimes you'll get involved with a support group and you leave feeling worse than when you came in. And if that happens, you need to find another support group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the most maddening things I found for me is, you know, everybody's loved one with dementia is different because it's based upon their memories, where they grew up, how were they raised. Um, you know, did they go to church as a kid or, you know, they weren't a church-going family or were they poor? Were they well-to-do? It's everybody is different. And so I would sometimes say, you know, even at church, I, I would say, you know, my mother's very agitated this week. I'm having a hard time with her. And somebody who didn't even know my mother, had never met her, would come up and tell me what I was doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And and I would come home crying and my husband would say, honey, they're clueless. That's how That's how we kind of started with the name of the book Mm -hmm. and um I remember when I put my mother what and and the reason I had to put my mother finally in memory care is I was bringing her home from the beauty shop one Saturday and she was accusing me of giving her daughter Sandy to the gypsies and decided she had to go find her daughter and open the car door and try to jump out on the highway Mm, I got her back in buckled in 
and got her right to the hospital where the hardest thing was to get her calmed down. She had to go into a mental health facility for a week mm-hmm. and uh, before she was transferred to memory care, which I didn't know that that would happen. Um, I understand why they had to do it now, but it was a, to me, it was a total nightmare. Um, but, um, you know, I had people coming up, even in my church, and they were, well, my mom, I had to mention, I stayed with her until the last breath of her life, no matter, I never gave up. I never put my mama away. And I was crying to my pastor one day, and I said, I am being judged for doing what's safe for my family and my mother. And he was so wonderful. He looked at me and he said, my mother had dementia for only 10 days before she died uh, from a serious stroke. And he said, I thought I was going to lose my mind. And that was only in 10 days, Sandy. He said, if anybody says one more thing to you, you call me and your redneck pastor is going to go and have a talk with them. <laughs> and, and I went, okay. <laughs> and I don't know, I think word got around because nobody ever said anything again. But people would say to me, you know, well, you just need to distract her. And my mother's brother called one day and to talk to me to find out really what was going on. And he said, what's going on with her? And I was telling him. And he said, well, well, what should you do? And I said, well, somebody told me. People keep telling me I have to distract her. And it got real quiet on the other end of the line. And then he started screaming with laughter. He was laughing so hard. And he said, well, how's that working out for you? <laughs> I said, I said not at all. He said, I have never known anybody to distract my sister from anything for any period of time. He said, give it up. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, so you are going to have, unless you have an incredibly amazing family, this is going to happen. But the other thing that you have to do is I see family members, I mean, not, luckily it didn't happen with me, but I've seen it with friends' families that somebody gets a hold of the checkbook who shouldn't have the checkbook. Mm-hmm. If, if one of your parents or both of your parents have dementia, um, you need help. You need an elder care attorney to help you make sure that everything is financially safe so that you have enough money to take care of them for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. You, you don't you don't need that one brother who hasn't worked in a year getting checks from them. Yeah. Right. Well, this has been just a great conversation, Sandy and Pollyanna. I, I appreciate both of you taking the time. Um, again, we are here with Sandy Savell, who has written the book, Dear Clueless, A Daughter's Journey Through Alzheimer's Caregiving. And I would highly recommend that you get her book and um, also check out Paul Ann's um, booklet on um, vascular dementia too. That's on Amazon, correct, Paul Ann? Correct. It's on Amazon and you can just look it up with my name, Paul Ann Gordon. Okay. And that's P-A-U-L-A-N and then Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N with that. That's correct. And um, for Dear Clueless, people can get that where, Sandy? Also at Amazon, okay. and uh, Barnes & Noble will order it for you, or you can contact me if you want a uh, signed copy. Okay, wonderful. And um, people can reach out to you by email as well, 
at DearClueless yeah. at Outlook.com. That's DearClueless at Outlook.com. I want to thank you both for joining us today. I just found this uh, fascinating. So thank you so much. You're thank welcome. Thank you very much. I enjoyed being here as well. Great, ladies. Um, for those Thank of you, you that are new to our network, Alive and Social, you might want to check out one of our sister shows, which is called What's for Dinner Tonight? It features Rachel, Rachel Perrin, who is the culinary director for Kowalski's Market, along with her sidekick, Adam Lee. And they are always joined by foodtastic friends and colleagues to chat about seasonal flavors, favorite foods, trending topics and nutrition, and everything that's yummy for the tummy. Their podcast only averages 10 to 15 minutes um, per episode, but it's perfect when you're busy and yet hungry. Um, you can also go to Kowalski's.com uh, to find out a full list of menus that they discuss. And Kowalski's.com uh, is www.kowalski.com, K-O-W-A-L. SKIS.com. I'm going to highlight a couple of shows that we just did recently. One was This Is Your Life, which is a new approach to memory care that works with reminiscing and music. Um, It's really a very cool concept. Um, We also had some meaningful music experiences with uh, Rachel Nelson, who was a um, music therapist. Um, so all of our podcasts are, are um, <clears throat> archived, so you can check those out anytime that you would like. Our last Dementia Chats, where our experts have dementia, we talked about uh, dementia and caring for pets. Is it really a good fit? And they came up with some really interesting um, things for families to think about when having a pet with a loved one with dementia, if that's owning one or if that's even visiting uh somebody with a pet, um, some great, great things. want to mention uh, two viewings of His Neighbor Phil that are coming up January 7th. We'll be showing that at St. Therese Senior Living in Woodbury, and then January 26th at Gable Pines in Badness Heights. Both are in Minnesota. On the blog, you'll be able to find, um, I did one for called the Gratitude and Grace for the Holidays that you might find interesting, and we were so lucky to be featured in uh, Maria Shriver's uh, Sunday paper as an architect of change, along with a <clears throat> big section that Media Plant, uh, Planet just did as well on Alzheimer's. And we were, Alzheimer Speaks and myself were just thrilled to be part of both of those uh, pieces. So until uh, Thursday, we will talk to you next time. Have a great week, everybody. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.